So uh, we're in the book of Genesis, the very, very first pages of the scripture. And we really believe that if you start the story right, you have a, a higher likelihood of getting the story right. I know that might be kind of like obvious, but it's important to say theologically, spiritually, biblically, it's important to say that. Like, like in, in, this, in this massive story, my Bible is like 1,100 pages, there's probably a couple of chapters here or there that if you omitted them, the, the overall thrust of the story you would still get right. You know, like we probably find a couple of pages in Leviticus that like, if they got ripped out of my Bible tomorrow, not that I would want that to happen, but simply that we could probably get the story right, right? But, but these first couple of pages of the story, like if you're gonna tell a story right, if you're gonna hear a story right, if you're gonna live in a story right, you've gotta know how it begins and ends. And so we're, we're camped out in the beginning of Genesis for a while, and what's amazing to me is how if you hear this message from Genesis 1, the whole world is a temple. That God looked down and he saw it was good, it was good, it was good, that we're living, breathing, walking around every day in a temple made of soil and flesh and the things that we taste and touch and smell and see and hear, and that this is the space that God created for us to encounter him in and to serve him in. Then, like, other things start to open up. Other really beautiful and perhaps unexpected possibilities open up, and we want to listen to those possibilities tonight as we keep looking at Genesis 1 and 2. So we're going to zoom in. We're not actually going to move on from last week's text. We're going to zoom in a little more narrowly on uh, this important, peculiar little thing that happens at the end of Genesis 1. You've got a, another scripture insert there in your, in your program. Let me read this to you, and we'll see what we hear together. This is after God has done the light and darkness and the land and the waters, right? And then we see this. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, and fill the earth and subdue it, and rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Let's hang out here for a bit, okay? Now, um, one thing stands out right away. Think about this. If you're an, a writer in ancient times, you don't have Xerox, you don't have digital copies, you don't have Kindles, you don't have Microsoft Word. Uh, written words on pages are absolutely like invaluable because the materials that you use to write with and the copying process, all of that is just incredibly labor-intensive and expensive, right? So every little thing that was on the page costs you something, right? And like you don't have bold, you don't have like, like um, you're not making video where you can like turn up the soundtrack at just the right moment to make people know that this is the thing that matters, right? And here's what I'm getting at. In this time, if you're trying to make a point, if you're trying to say to the reader like, hey, th this thing right here, this is the, the really important part, this is where it really comes home, there's one thing that the writers can do that helps you understand this is something you're supposed to pay attention to. The thing is, you repeat it. And did you hear the repetition here? Let us, let me, let me just read this again. So God created mankind, in, well, <laughs> earlier, let us make mankind in our image, back down a little bit. So God created mankind in his image, and the next line, in the image of God, he created them. And it's like, I get it already, right? The scripture is like begging us to pay attention to this, that God made us in his image. Like, like press into it, to sink into it for a bit. So that's where we're gonna live tonight for a bit, okay? Now, my first recollection of this passage goes back to church summer camp growing up. In middle school, uh, I went to this church summer camp. Well, I went there like all of growing up. 
And in middle school, we did this thing. You'd go for a week, and it'd be like the fifth and sixth graders or sixth, seventh, and eighth graders or whatever. And uh, each week of camp would have a dean, which was a local pastor, who would sort of like run the week of camp. And the dean's kind of the big shot, right? Like kind of the cool guy. And the guys in the guys' cabin, all the middle school boys, like we got this really special privilege, which was one of the nights the dean would come into the cabin as we were getting ready for bed, and we'd have an open floor, ask anything Q&A time with the dean, which was, felt pretty special, right? Now you got a bunch of middle school boys and a pastor, and you can ask anything you want. You can imagine the kinds of questions that come in, right? <laughs> Wrestling with lots of things that middle school boys are experiencing for the first time, right? In the middle of all of that, though, there was one question that stood out to me, which was when somebody said to the dean, hey, like at school I've been hearing about like how we should recycle and care for the earth. Like, is that true? Is that something we're supposed to care about? And I'll never forget, I remember the dean turning to this passage and saying, see, God has given the world to us, so we don't need to take care of it. The world's here for us, not the other way around. I know some of you are like, oh no, right? Like, at the time, I don't know that I got why that felt wrong, but it felt wrong to me even then. Um, that's my first recollection of this passage, but I want to just like press in a little bit. Like, let's reason with one another at, at, at a very basic level. What might this passage actually be saying to us? Well, Made in the image of God, like at a really basic level, must mean that we're supposed to act like God, to look like God, to resemble God in the world in some way. Like we can all get that far pretty quickly, right? It must mean that we're supposed to act like God, resemble God, look like God in some way. That this is a fundamental, basic, primordial, foundational like word from Scripture about what it means to be human. That we're meant to look like God, act like God, resemble God in some way. So it begs the question, what does God look like in Genesis 1? Like what do you see God doing in Genesis 1? Now watch this. This gets really important, right? What do we see God doing? Well, remember, last week we talked about this. We see him taking a situation of formlessness, chaos, darkness, of sort of an unmade world, and then we see God getting his hands on it, right? We see God sorting it and sifting it. We see dark places filled with light. We see dead places filled with life, and we see increasing diversity and abundance and flourishing, growing. It's like the more that God gets his hands on it, the more there's all this abundant, teeming, flourishing, diverse life. At a minimum, that's what we can like quickly take away from this passage. That's what God looks like here. So maybe for you and I to bear the image of God at least starts with like we're meant to get our hands on this world and where there are dark places bring some kind of light to them, where there are dead places bring some kind of life to them. And if we get our hands on the world the way that God gets his hands on the world, there ought to be like a growing, diverse, flourishing life in the world. But that ought to be what it looks like to get our hands on this thing. Now, I like this. This is really powerful because like this means that all kinds of work can matter, for example, right? Like, like that your work might be not just a way to pay the bills, but a deeply, divinely important gift to the world. Like that maybe, maybe you don't see your work that way, but maybe in fact what you are doing is you are contributing in some way to a world that has more order in it because you showed up at work this week. Maybe there's a little more beauty in the world because you showed up at work this week. Maybe people were fed this week because you showed up at work this week. Somehow you got your hands on something in the world and you made something beautiful out of it. This is not just good way to pay the bills. This is like divine vocation. This is what it means to be human in the very first pages of Scripture. You get your hands on this world. You make something beautiful out of it. You ensure there's a little more diversity, a little more flourishing, a little more abundance, a little more life in the world. Made in the image, resemble God. It starts to look like that right out of the gate, right? 
Now this is important because a lot of us, I think, look down on our work. And by work, by the way, I don't just mean the thing that pays the bills. Maybe the thing that you do at home all day with three kids where there's chaos, right? And you're the one who, against all odds, is trying to bring order to the chaos and flourishing to those kids, growing them up into, into something beautiful, right? Um, a while ago, I walked into a store whose name I will not mention because I like this store and I'm about to disparage it. And I don't want to be too mean about it. But this is a store where you buy things. And in this particular store, when you buy things, they want you to lose a little frequent buyer of things card so they keep track of the things that you buy so that when you buy more things, they can give you a discount on the things that you buy at the store with the things. Got it? And the thing about the things at the store that I buy is that when I go to buy the things at the store, I don't like to keep those cards on me, you know? So they have a program where you can just tell them your phone number and they look up the card for the things that you buy to see if you bought enough things to get a discount on the things, right? And so I walk into the store one day to buy things that you're supposed to get a discount on, and I, and I give them my phone number, and they look it up, and it's not connected to any card. And I say, well, that's weird, because I've got a card for the things. And they say, well, go, go to customer service and see if they can work this out. So I walk over to customer service, and have you ever just like been walking toward a person in the retail environment where upon in said advance, you can tell from about a mile away this is not gonna go well? So I'm walking toward customer service desk, and there's a woman there at customer service desk, and her scowl is emanating across the store toward anyone who dare cross the threshold of customer service, you know? But I want to, like, get my discount on the things, you know? So I, like, take a deep breath, and I brave it. And I walk up to customer service desk, and I say to the lady, I say, um, excuse me, I'm here because my phone number is no longer connected to my card, and I'd like to see if we could sort that out so I could get that discount on the things. And she goes, <sighs> well, give me your card. And I said, oh, no, see, that's the problem. See, the reason I want to use the phone number is I don't carry the card. She says, you need to carry your card. I said, but I, I was told that we could use our phone number so we don't have to carry our card. And the reason I don't carry the card is because if I carried a card for the, all the things that I buy at all the stores, I'd have to have a purse, ma'am. Because, like, every store wants you to carry their card, right? And she says, like, right out of the gate, she says, no, you don't. You can put it on your keychain. And I'm thinking, like, lady, like, look at the skinny jeans. There is no room in the pockets. You know, I can barely fit my house key, you know? I didn't tell her that. I also was thinking in my head, I wanted to say to her, oh, by the way, ma'am, I'm sorry. You have a typo on your sign because you spelled the word abuse, S-E-R-V-I-C-E, you know? <laughs> Now, maybe it's clear to you this is a grocery store in town. We'll go that far with it. Maybe she was just having a really bad day. But I also thought to myself, in this moment, this lady seems to have no idea that her work is a gift to the world. Now, maybe you think, I don't know, like grocery store clerk? Well, try going to any of the many, many, many places in the world where the grocery stores often have nothing on the shelves, where there's a run on the market the day that groceries show up, right? I mean, think about, think about the fact we live in this beautiful place. We have all this privilege that we show up at these stores and anything we could think of is just there for us. What a gift to the world that you never have to wonder if you're going to have food in the pantry because you can't get your hands on it. That you never have to wonder if you'll, you'll be able to get medicine for your kids because there's a pharmacy around every corner. That you'll never have to wonder like, if you're going to be able to get toilet paper at last minute notice. Right? <laughs> like, I'm serious. What a gift. I mean, this is a gift flourishing. Life is better because we have stores like that. And I, it just struck me, I don't think she gets her work as a gift to the world. 
Like every day, you, you and I, we put our hands to this world, we get our hands on it, and we have the chance to take the raw materials of this world and make something beautiful, to bring some order, to bring some light or life to it, and we add our work together, and little by little, we see that, that trajectory of Genesis 1 just growing, more life and abundance and flourishing in the world. What a gift. What about you? Your nine to five or whatever crazy hours you work or the time that you're putting in at home with your family or caring for a loved one, you get your hands on the raw materials of this world. What a gift you get to give the world, that you, that you get to bear the image of God in some way to the world, that you get to show the world a little bit of what God's loving care for the raw materials looks like. Now, there's something else that's interesting about this. Um, if you read other ancient texts that come from the same time and place generally in the world, you discover that everyone talks about the image of God. It's not unique to Genesis that we talk about the image of God in those times. That shows up elsewhere. Here's what's unique. In all of the other texts, the only people who get to bear the image of God are kings. In all the other texts, it's kings that bear the image of God, and all the everyday people are not nearly good enough for that. All the everyday people don't bear that divine nobility in their life. It's just a vocation for kings. It's unique to Genesis here. So, for example, last week, do you remember we talked about Marduk and Tiamat and the crazy story of the gods getting in a fight and Marduk kills Tiamat and rips the body in half? Right? That was the juicy part of the sermon, I know. So that's a Babylonian story. And then we also read that, that among the Babylonians that they say to their king, their earthly human king with flesh and blood, you, you bear the image of Marduk, the god of our story. Right? So that's for the king. Or uh, anybody maybe like, ha like have a little season when you were young or now where you were super into Egypt stuff and the pyramids and all that? You guys remember King Tut? Right? Big discovery before, before our time, but big discovery. They find this pharaoh's tomb, and it's in immaculate condition, and there's that gold face mask, and you've got King Tut. Right? Well, the name King Tut is actually, the full name is Tutankhamun or Tutankhamun, and the name literally means be the, the bearer of the image of the god Amun. Every time you see King Tut, you'd be reminded that in the ancient world, nobody else had the insight, had the idea that every human being bears the image of God. It was only the kings, only the elite, only the ones that had everything stacked up for them, only one special divinely named person, and everybody else was lucky if their life mattered at all. And in this story, every single person bears the image of God. I mean, this is sort of working against the trend of the world at that time to say every human being bearing the image of God. I wonder how that ought to translate for us today. Like that you don't have to have the right pedigree for your work or your life to matter. That you don't have to have um, privilege for your life to matter. That whether you like, have a high school GED or a PhD, like your life matters. I don't know how we would render the hierarchy today, but this obliterates the hierarchy however we would build it. And it says that like man, woman, educated, uneducated, rich, poor with your moral act together or in a mess, there's something innate about you that God has said you are meant to be a bearer of the image of God. Like, lift your head. Don't hang your head. Don't you dare look down on yourself. A bearer of the image of God. Now, the hard thing about that is if everybody bears the image of God, then the people I don't like bear the image of God, right? 
If everybody has been called to bear the image of God, then the people I disagree with do, the people who are inconvenient to me do, the people that I stand across a divide from do, the people who see the world differently from me are also bearers of the image of God. The people who have different politics from me are also bearers of the image of God. That's the hard thing about this, that however we would draw the lines, on the other side of that line is somebody who's been called to bear the image of God, given that same like divine, dignifying vocation in the world. And I have to think about like all the times that I've looked at another human being and seen something far less. I didn't have the imagination. I didn't have the holy vision. I didn't have the sacred eyes to see a bearer of the image of God. And I wonder about who you're in conflict with or who you walk right by, who you see every day in your daily routine. Maybe they're sort of just disposable or maybe they're not disposable. They're a problem in your life. I wonder what would happen if you look at them and say, in spite of the brokenness, the mess, the disagreement, maybe the fact that, they've disp- um, that, that that image is not like fully functioning in their life, in spite of all of that, underneath everything, a person called bearer of the image of God. Now, we, um, we, we all can live at some distance from this truth, right? So maybe it's because we don't see it in other people, or maybe it's because we haven't borne the image well. Like, it's possible that we get our hands on the raw materials of this world. We don't make it more beautiful. We make it ugly. We get our hands on the raw materials of this world, and we don't keep making the world. We unmake the world in some way. Do you know what I mean? I mean, this is true on an individual level. And like, like every one of us, we grow up, and as we grow up, we gain a little more power, right? So you're young, you're, you're little, and your body has less power than it has than, than when it's sort of fully formed and fully grown, right? You have a little more power in the world. Maybe um, your first job, you're like a runt at the, at the workplace. You're low on the totem pole. There's a little less power there, but you gain more power as you sort of work your way through things. And as we gain power, we have more power that we can leverage or steward in the name of the image of God toward flourishing, right? And it's like every time individuals get more power, we get mixed results. Do you know what I mean? And the fact is also that as humanity has grown over the centuries, like as humanity has grown, we also see mixed results. We get more power, we get more skill, we learn how to manipulate the raw materials of this world more and more. Like for example, we figure out how to split an atom. I mean, that is serious power to get our hands on the raw materials of this world, right? And what do we do when we get the power to split an atom? We create nuclear weapons, which have the power to unmake the world, right? We get our hands on um, things I don't even understand and somehow create a world where devices in our pockets are connected. And that there's a beautiful potential, a power that we take raw materials like, like silicon that makes a computer chip and, and glass and, and we create these devices that are all connected somehow and it's, it's power in some real way, right? And then what do we do with that? Well, we, we both create tools that are um, available for incredible connection and good in the world, but the same tool can be used so that we can gain access to images and video that are dehumanizing and degrading that corrupt our brains and that victimize the people who are in those films. Every step that we take, we gain a little power and there's a mixed result, right? And this story really grapples with that. The scriptures, they they wrestle with the fact that we are called with this divine calling to bear the image of God and every one of us in some way, it's a mixed result. We might have had moments where we've stewarded that power well and we have so many moments where we've used that power to unmake the world to break things down a little bit. The world's a little less beautiful because we were given that calling, right? Well, like we said last week, 
This Genesis story is not a story that God gives up on. He keeps insisting on it. And what's uh, really beautiful to me, like this, this divine calling out of the first pages of Scripture, it doesn't disappear, it doesn't go away. It's not like God says, well, we tried, and you guys just aren't up for it, so we're moving on. <laughs> That's not how this goes, because the image of God language, it shows up all the way in the New Testament, all the way in the story of Jesus, like in Colossians, where we, where we read uh, this, Colossians chapter 1. For God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. And by the way, that dominion of darkness is in so many ways a, dom- a dominion that we've created, right? We were meant to bring light to dark places. In some ways, the world is darker than when we got our hands on it, right? But he's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, including those sins which are just a direct rejection of our calling as bearers of the image of God. Forgiveness of sins. Listen, the Son, Jesus we're talking about here, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So like right there, it's like God has not given up on this idea. Image shows up, and you say, okay, great, so all the action has shifted to Jesus, and now we all sit in the bleachers and watch him do the work? No, because watch this. This is in the Romans, image of God language, chapter 8. For those God foreknew, he also predestined, this is you and me he's talking about, to be conformed to the image of his son, that we might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. That God never gave up on it, but he brought Jesus to restore it. Um, This is, by the way, why following Jesus is so important for us as a church, not just for church, but like for your work. Like where do you get your your hands on the raw materials of the world? Is it in the office? Is it in your nine to five? Is it in some creative endeavor? Is it uh, in your family? Is it um, your elderly parents that you're caring for? Is it little ones that you're trying to raise? Where do you get your hands on the raw material of the world? Following Jesus really, really matters in those spaces. Because for all the ways that you and I have had mixed results as we try to steward this power, there is one who had no mixed result. One who who bore that image perfectly that we could learn from and be redeemed by, that we could look to and follow. And so, um, so please don't, please don't, please don't think that following Jesus just matters when you walk into a room like this. We really believe it matters for all the ways that you get your, your hands on the raw materials of the world. And you have the chance to make something beautiful out of it. Um, Back in Genesis, I want to read you one more line. This is uh, Genesis 1, uh, 31. The last verse of chapter 1 here. God saw all that he had made, and it was... Do you see it there? It was what? Very good. Yeah, very good. God saw all that he made, and it was very good. Now, in Genesis 1, the refrain again and again and again is, God saw what he had made, and it was good. And then at the end of Genesis 1, he says... I saw, or God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And it begs the question, what happened between good and very good? What happened to take the whole thing from good to very good? How did the whole thing get an upgrade? Well, there's one thing that happens between all of the it was good and the very good. The one thing that happens is that God introduces image bearers into the mix. It's as if like when human beings get their hands on this, the, the idea would be that there's more work to do, more creating to do, more beauty to make. And so God introduces bearers of the image, co-creators with him to get their hands on it, to take, to take the baton and keep creating with God and making more beauty and goodness out of it. We get to take it from good to very good. And then for all the ways that we took it from good to something less than good, Jesus arrives to redeem that, to heal that, and to teach us how to take it from good to very good again. It's like 2,000 years ago, the whole 
whole thing got an upgrade from good to very good. And now you and I get to learn from Jesus. How do we take it from good to very good? Like, like where in your life have you been called to take things from good to very good? Where in your life have you been called to get your hands on the raw materials and do some making, do some creating? Where in your life have you been invited to, to listen to Jesus, to learn from Jesus, to discover that he is, in, in fact, teaching us how to bear the image alongside him, that we might be brothers and sisters who are making the world with him? Where in your life are you called to take things from good to very good? I think that's the question for us this week. And, and maybe as we sit with that question, we'll feel ourselves propelled to Jesus to learn more how we do that. So I want to uh, give us a chance to just reflect for a bit before we sort of wrap things up. So uh, Seth and the crew, I think we're going to hop back up. Um, they're going to offer a bit of a song just to reflect. So if you want to close your eyes, if that helps you, that's great. If you want to pray, if that helps you, that's great. If you want to meditate, if you want to think a little bit about where in your life are you called to take things to very good, whatever helps you right now. And then um, before we're done, we'll also sing a little more together, okay? Hey, before you go, let me just uh, remind you if you already know it or if you don't know, a bunch of us uh, hang out on Tuesdays at Baker's just across the street in the Doubletree Hotel because uh, we really believe as much in the ways that we can care for each other and laugh together and get to know each other as we do in what happens here. Um, it's all sort of wrapped up in what we think God wants us to be. So that's, uh, that's tonight. Uh, the church likes to buy snacks for everyone and then you can go hang out and get to know each other. If you're new, um, good news. If you're new, you need to know that everybody else here knows that if it's not your first time here, you are a greater. greater. Yeah, it was a little weak. It's okay. Um, yeah, really, we, we all shared uh, just a lot of responsibility for making this a really welcoming family. So if you're new here, it's not on you. But it might be easier if you just reach out and say, hey, I'm new here, <laughs> and then we can talk to you for a bit. Um, I think that's it. Let me wrap up with this benediction. Let me look you in the eyes as I say this. May you hear the divine word spoken over your life, that you have been called to be a bearer of the image of God. You are here for no lesser purpose than that. May you hear the grace of God for all the ways that you've failed in that image, just as I have. And may you run to Jesus, the teacher from God, to teach us all the ways to bear that image again. May you get your hands on the raw materials of this world and make something beautiful of it. And may the world go from good to very good because you walked on this earth. Grace and peace, my friends, be with you. Love you guys. Thank you.